0: Hello and welcome to SME TV. I'm your host, Angela Vithalkas, bringing you the latest in news and views for the SME community. Who doesn't like a two-for-one special? Well, right now, it looks like our government doesn't. On the one hand, we need to get people working, and on the other, we have social and affordable housing crisis. We basically need one million homes built. Jobs plus homes equals fix two problems. To join our SME TV community, just subscribe to our YouTube channel we encourage you to comment and share our episodes. That's where we need your support. SME TV levels the playing field when it comes to giving you and your business a voice. I promise you'll get heard. Our guest today has worked as an entrepreneur since the 1970s, mainly in major scale property developments, billion dollar projects and infrastructure. Barry Harrop is the Executive Chair of Thrive Construct and he joins us today. Welcome, Barry.
1: Yeah, nice to be here. Thank you for the invite, Angela.
0: Barry, you don't quite fit the mould of a greedy developer trying to take advantage of planning laws. You've you've got some very vocal opinions and views on the state of the nation, the economy, and affordable housing. How did how does all of that come together in the package of Barry?
1: It's, it's philosophical, Angela. I like doing good things, and um, and uh, the, uh, the Australians that I admire most are quite achievers.
0: Well. You you might be or might have been classified as a quiet achiever, but you're very vocal uh, online in terms of the the housing crisis itself that's here. I mean, you've you've said that we need a million homes built. If we build these one million homes, we're going to create four hundred thousand jobs.
1: Correct. Yes, uh, I've been an advocate on uh, social media, particularly LinkedIn, um, over the years. Um, Essentially what I'm trying to do is shape uh, uh, policy um, without having to be uh, on the doorstep in Canberra um, nagging people about it constantly. Um, I get a very high readership on LinkedIn. I think it's running about 250,000 reads a week. Um, and, and I think last month peaked at about 550,000 reads in one week. So um, if I don't comment every day, people send me hundreds of emails saying, uh, are you okay?
0: Just in, just in case you you become offline in this this new very much online world, it's interesting though. I mean, you've you've managed and pulled off projects that are in the billions and have created some landmark designs, um, particularly in the marina. But the fact that you focus a lot on social housing makes you aware of of the actual problems that this country is facing uh, yes. in terms of the not very level playing field that, you know, a lot of our people are. And you've, you've said that there's nine million rental stressed tenants.
1: Correct. Yes, Angela, I, not only um, um, I, I practise really what I sp- speak, um, in terms of my major urban projects over the years, going back to the eighties and nineties, I was actually putting in a 50% um, affordable component into all my projects. The a big marina project you mentioned at North Haven, which uh, uh, the late Kerry Packer backed me on that project. Um, that 50% of that project was affordable. And, and those people that bought in were essentially Aussie battlers. They're wharfing families in Port Adelaide. They're all living in uh, multi-million water, uh, waterfront houses these days. When I go down there to look at the project, which I often do with people, um, they, they wrap their arms around me and say, you saved this family, Barry. Um, so I, I like doing good things. I, I put together a very big urban project with uh, Minda that look after a 1,000 mentally handicapped children in South Australia. With Kerry's backing, we put them into a non-risk profit share. That, that um, community is now self-funding in perpetuity. They're not standing on street corners begging for money anymore uh in the project we saved over half a million trees mature trees and creeks through the project uh, and it's like 30 kilometers of walkways and bikeways through that estate so i like doing good things and uh, uh essentially that that gets me out of bed every day
0: well it's a little bit um like profit with purpose and barry you may not know that um my background is uh local government recently in the last 8 years i've become an elected councillor with the city of sydney so planning is very much something that i have developed a huge interest in also the affordability and social housing component of any great developments coming forward we're struggling to get you know 10% on a good day so when we when i hear you say that you've allowed for 50% of affordable or social housing in your developments that that's not that's a new benchmark that's not followed Barry. It's, it's uncommon, not common.
1: Well, correct, Angela. I, I think um, people in my position have a social responsibility. It's not all about how much money you've got in the bank at the end of the day. Um, everyone's pretty well equal. But in terms of contributing to society, there's, there's plenty of people um, that um, claim to do good things, but there's little evidence they do. And in terms of the Sydney situation, um, yeah, they, they're patting themselves on the back if they achieve uh, 3 or 4% uh, affordable Correct. housing when essentially it is public land. Uh, it was paid for by the community and and it, it's appalling that they're achieving those sort of results. They should be aiming at 50%, um, in a minimum 50% in all those public projects, particularly around urban infrastructure like urban railway, the new stations in Sydney, all the metro, billions of dollars are are being spent there with very poor outcomes in terms of... Very poor,
0: very poor social and economic outcomes. Even green space seems to be, you know, something on a wish list as opposed to something that should be happening as part of the norm.
1: Well, take the situation today with the dreadful pandemic. Uh, People are striving for green open spaces and um, it, it's it's something that you look at the parks now, uh, and we walk every uh, day in the linear park here in Adelaide. Uh, they're just absolutely crowded, and and before the pandemic, you're lucky to see one or two people, you know. And now they're in the thousands. People are out walking with their families, walking with their walking their pets, and riding their bikes. It, the world has changed, and and uh, the uh, cities of Australia are really going to have to adapt to that in terms of public access walkways and 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 get vitality back into their cities with people living there.
0: One of the things you that. you've also um, mentioned and talked about is the fact that you unfortunately we're making the leap here, where because of COVID and the, and the pandemic and the stress on the economy, we could be looking at a double of the social and affordable housing crisis going up to 2 million. Uh, And that, you know, with the job seeker maybe coming off the boil and not as much welfare being available from the government, we could find a lot more of our people being unable to afford their mortgage payments, therefore finding themselves out of home, even more rental stress. And you mentioned, and and this is unfortunately something that I've becoming familiar with, is that women over 55 now are in greater danger more than ever of becoming the new poverty line.
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's a shocking indictment, uh, really. That Australia is one of the ten countries in the world with triple A credit status. Um, and and since the 70s in Australia, we we um, we had a population of about 13 million then, and we were doing good things in social housing and affordable housing. Since that time, there's very little public and social housing being built in the cities of Australia. And the population's basically doubled. It's over 25 million. Uh, and, and the chickens are going to come home to roost with this pandemic because uh, those 4 million Australians, unfortunately, that are on JobKeeper, the possibility of half of those people sliding across to job seekers is, is, a, is a shocking outcome. And, and basically, they'll have nowhere to live because yes. they will not be able to pay their mortgage payments. They will not be able to pay their rent. Um, and and we're talking the end of March next year. So uh, this looming economic cliff is quite a frightening prospect.
0: What do you think our cities will look like? I mean, if we look at the issues of affordable rentals and affordable housing, that, that also, the flip side of that is the fact that commercial rentals are going to take a hit as well. We're already seeing in the CBD of Sydney, a lot of the office blocks, people aren't renewing their leases. that's going to leave a lot of space empty. I mean, a year ago, Barry, we were talking uh, as organisations in the city that we had a shortage of commercial space. Now we're going to have a surplus. Yes.
1: How
0: how are we going to be able to balance that in terms of planning as well? I mean, the space is built.
1: Thank you. Angela, just before I address that important question, I mean, here we are today talking on Zoom, okay? Christmas, before Christmas last year, Zoom worldwide, we're running at about 10 million uh, video conferences a day. Today, it'd be close to 400 million video conferences per day. The, the reality is, with this remote working, now people have been forced into that situation. There's probably a third to 40% of the office workers of Australia that will not be going back to their offices, not on a permanent basis, maybe one or two days a week. So, the million people that went into melbourne every day that supported all those cafes all those restaurants all of those retail stores ain't going to be there and 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 the people that can support those very businesses have been driven out a decade or so ago the the, the lower income key city workers like the essential workers that we need today for this pandemic the nurses the teachers the carers that look after people are driven out of the cities because of the lack of affordable rents. So they're the very people that need to be supported now with affordable accommodation. And, and, and the city centres in Australia really have become enclaves for wealthy people. Um, well, I grew up in the city as a boy, and in those days, everyone looked out for each other, and there was a great sense of community in the, in the city of Adelaide. Forty thousand people lived in the city back when I was a boy, and today you know it's it's fifteen thousand, and they're all million-dollar apartments, and, uh, and 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 it, it go five five thirty six o'clock. It's it's like a ghost city, um, and and that's the trend really across Australian cities. So a major rethink is required uh, in terms of. How do you get that balance back into a city? How do you get that vitality back into a city? And uh, building more office space that, that there are no tenants for is not a plan.
0: No, that, that's right. That, that seems to have um, uh, unfortunately put a spanner in the works for a lot of people who were who were looking at development. Now, while we are running out of time as usual, um, I do want to touch briefly on uh, China and doing business with China and why suddenly our relationships uh, are falling apart in that area I'm I'm personally of the view that um, government needs to stay out of the way of doing business with China we've relied on them for many good reasons I I know uh, many people uh, in Sydney that do great business with China and that a lot of small business owners would love to have exposure to 350 million Millennials uh, in China what are your views I know you've been very vocal about this as well
1: yeah I I am I'm um, I'm really pro anyone that wants to invest capital in Australia. Number one. And secondly, uh, why would you upset um, the single largest trading partner Australia has, uh, that uh, a partner that our economic recovery depends on? Why would you upset them? Um, uh, I don't believe that um, the, the, there's any uh, merit in. Uh, continuing with this anti-China uh, ranting. Um, you, you don't have to join the Communist Party to trade with China. Um, there's over a million Australians with Chinese heritage. They'll be voting in the next federal election. All this anti-China ranting in the coalition is um, just short-sighted. And I, I, I essentially believe it's, it's just lacking experience uh, in terms of the cabinet mix um, that... China has options, of course, to buy things elsewhere in the world. They pay a fair price. Um, they're not it's not mandatory they trade with Australia. Um, and why not be nice to to your customer? I mean, it doesn't take. I mean,
0: much. on on the one hand, uh, the Australian government has gone in the past, gone out of its way to open up these trading channels with China and to encourage business in a, on a two-way format. And on the other hand we've got politics getting in the way of everything. And in, in particular of business, I mean, our own economy, if we've become so reliant on one trading partner, surely as a business plan, that just needs to have a bit of balance applied to it. I mean, any business owner who relies on one customer is always going to find themselves in trouble. So maybe we should be encouraging trade with lots of different countries and communities and investing in our own country and our own people at the same time, to mitigate a little bit of that risk. We can't whinge about that risk when we've done that on purpose and then suddenly spit the dummy. It's, no, it's the poor behaviour, Barry, isn't it, in, around it, the business?
1: It, it's short-sighted, basically, because essentially Australia has no, the reality is Australia has no other option but to be nice to China. Uh, if there are alternative markets, they could take a decade or two to develop. Yes, you know, they, t- they, talk, they talk about India, The reality is right now in the world economy, India is a basket case. And essentially what India is importing from Australia is the very thing that the Prime Minister is now anti-coal for some reason. All of a sudden he's become um, not so keen on coal. Well, 80% of the exports from Australia that, that, that go to India are coal exports, okay? So there's nothing else. We can't, Australian farmers can't compete in in India with all the trade barriers. Um, India is a subsistence economy with millions, hundreds of millions of small farmers on a little plot, making a bit of food for their family and, and sharing that food within their communities. Yeah. So Australian farmers cannot compete with that kind of market. With all no,
0: it's a it's a different it's a it's a completely different ball game, completely different picture. Thank yes. you so much, Barry, for joining us today. We obviously have a lot to talk about, so we'd love to have you back on for your opinions because they matter. Uh, and people, as you say, if you don't communicate with them online on the same day, <laughs> they send you to find out where you are. Well, we know where you are. Thank you very much for making time.
1: Thank you. Pleasure.
0: To everyone out there watching in YouTube land, if you haven't subscribed, please press the button. To the Piedmont Studio, thank you for making us look and sound good. To the SMEA Association, thank you for your contribution. Without you, SME TV wouldn't take place. If you have any comments, questions or stories, you can send them straight to me, news at smea.org.au, and we're across all the socials. We'll see you next time. Thank you very much, Barry. Pleasure.